Thank you, Pastor Rich. Uh, I was glad when they said to me, let us go into the house of the Lord. And I am glad that uh, you are here. I'm glad to be able to share with you uh, together. You know, there are some who are more glad than others, I guess. Uh, a couple of you uh, showed up an hour early. You were so enthusiastic about being here. Uh, so uh, we, we appreciate that. It didn't have anything to do with maybe you forgot to set your clock back or forward or whatever it is you're supposed to do. But uh, we are glad that you're here. Uh, Randy, Chris, let me just offer you my uh, word of congratulations and thank you for the blessing that you have been to our community, our church family. Uh, we just, we're just so grateful to uh, have you as a part of our lives. So uh, love you so very, very much. I would like to invite you to turn with me to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 4, beginning here with verse uh, 8. We're going to kind of go right into the middle of a story. We're, uh, we're wrapping up this series. Maybe you're thankful that we're wrapping up this series as we get into the election here on Tuesday. We're, uh, uh, we're, we're talking about the uh, citizens of heaven. Uh, next week, we start a new series on uh, Psalms, and we'll just be spending uh, three or four weeks in the Psalms, and then, of course, then we have Advent. Hard to believe, but 2020 is almost over, uh, so we're getting close to that. But uh, next week, we'll, we'll dive into some of the Psalms and start talking about some of those things. But I want to give you a word that I believe the Lord has put on my heart today, and this is coming from Matthew chapter 4. We're going to begin here with verse 8. I'll invite you to stand as we receive this word together. Right in the middle of the story of Jesus' temptation, hear the word of the Lord. The Bible says, again, the devil took Jesus to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give to you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and angels came and attended him. May God add his blessing to that word. Please, you can be seated. Well, I don't have to tell you that this upcoming Tuesday, uh, as citizens of the United States, we get to participate in the process of electing those who will be leading us over these next few years. Now, each of us, therefore, has an important decision to make. Some of you, of course, have already voted, and if you haven't voted, I would just say, please do so, just as long as you vote for the same people I'm voting for, okay? Please. <laughs> Otherwise, take it easy. It's, it's okay. Stay in bed. It's dangerous out there. Just stay home. Uh, uh, but, but if you consider, if you consider the full scope of human history, what we get to participate in on Tuesday is absolutely extraordinary. It seems like, you know, when every election cycle, however, comes around, we are told basically the same thing. This is the most important election ever in our lifetimes. And I, I don't know for certain about that, but indeed, every election is important. Each election, in fact, is a snapshot of ourselves. Whoever we elect is a mirror of the people who are doing the voting. So this is significant. But if somebody were to ask you, what's the most important political decision that has ever been made, how would you respond? If someone were to ask you, what's the most important political decision ever made, what would you say? 
for many of us, at least in our mind, we might go back to the founding of the United States of America when a group of incredibly talented and intelligent men, and they were men, had the audacity to declare independence from the mighty powerful empire, the most powerful empire in the world, based on the idea that all people should be free and are created equally. And so they endeavored to be involved in this great experiment called democracy and self-government. And of course, that was an incredibly important political decision. Our constitutional system came along shortly thereafter, along with the Bill of Rights, which, which was incredibly important in giving us freedom of religion, the freedom of, of speech and press, a way to address perceived injustice. Again, very vital. I think about when George Washington, and I'm a big fan of his, I've read several of his biographies, the, the founding father of our nation made the incredible decision to step down from being the general of the Continental Army. First, of course, uh, even uh, his, his nemesis, George III of England, King of England at the time, when he was told that Washington would resign his commission, he said to the painter Benjamin West, if he does that, he will be the greatest man in the world. People that didn't do that. They didn't willingly give up power. But George Washington decided to, to quit, go back to Mount Vernon, and farm. But his country would call him again. He was elected twice to the presidency. And if you know your history, he could have very easily established a dynasty and easily been elected for life and set a precedent of power for decades. But George Washington believed in the people and the wisdom of the people and of providence to establish able people to come after him. And so again, he stepped down willingly. Great political decisions. Then there was the time when we reached the point to finally abolish slavery and at last begin to deal with the stain of racial injustice and enmity that we still wrestle with even in society today. In 1920, think about this, 100 years ago, women were given the right to vote. That was an important political decision. But I think, in fact, the most important political decision ever was made happened 2,000 years ago. And I want to talk, that, talk about that with you for a moment and think about the implications of that for our nation, our world and our lives. As we see here, Jesus is at the front end of his ministry. We are told that the Spirit of God had led him into the wilderness, and he is there where he has fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. He's hungry, I'm sure he's tired, but then Satan comes along and he's facing these temptations. Now it's the third and final temptation that we're going to focus on this morning. Matthew tells us this, he says again, the devil took Jesus to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. Now, you, you have to pause a moment and I want you to try to imagine that. This is not something that you could have done in just a few seconds. Jesus is immersed in this vision of all. 
That's a very comprehensive word in Scripture. It's a little word, but it means so much. The kingdoms of the world, all the systems of power, all their splendor is before him. And, and what is highlighted here is their splendor. And Satan says, all this I will give to you if you'll bow down and worship me. Jesus, you can have all of this. All of it can be yours. And you don't have to be a peasant anymore. You don't have to muddle through life. You, Jesus, you won't have to face the cross or suffering, humiliation, death. You don't have to face that. I'll give you an easy way. You want to be king? Here it is. And Jesus says to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Now, I want to just stop right there and make this observation. One of the reasons, friends, that we worship, and the fact is that worship is so essential. One of the reasons I was so convinced we needed to come back together and be together and and do as best we can to be in the house of worship is because when we worship, we gain perspective. Worship gives us an understanding of our world and and an understanding of God's will. And and so there is always this temptation, and most especially in this time of corona and all that's going on, to say, well, I just don't need it. I don't want to be there. Let me just say, do not, do not make a habit of missing worship of the Most High God. It is easy to do. And if you're online, we love you, and we want you to insist in your household and in your own heart, Lord, I'm going to worship you. I'm not going to give in to the temptation not to do so. The scripture says that I will worship you and worship you alone. So don't neglect that. Jesus then, the scripture says, at that moment, the devil left him and the angels came and attended him. So we have this amazing scene. Now, of course, when we think about the scene, we we think about the devil there talking to Jesus. And most people, of course, when they think of the devil, they get this cartoon picture in their mind of this kind of goofy character in a cape and and wearing red with with a goatee of some sort. He's always holding a pitchfork. Maybe maybe you had one of those show up at your house last night for trick-or-treat or something like that. But you know, the Bible never pictures Satan that way. In fact, it never pictures him physically at all. It just gives us an indication that there is a spiritual force that is real, and it is opposed to God, and it is opposed to everything that's truly good. And he is most often described as a tempter. Have you met him? Do you ever get tempted? This past week, Mary and I came down with some symptoms on Monday. Well, this turned everything upside down. So uh, I sent Mary to get tested on Tuesday. I figured one of us could go and, and deal with that. So, so we were quite a quarantining as we were waiting on results. But I got to tell you, I was so tempted to just forget it. Come into the office, do my thing. Nobody has to know. I don't have to tell anybody about this at all. It was just a temptation to just get on. Now, by what, Thursday or Friday, I think it was, we got the results. Negative, by the way. I was kind of disappointed. I thought, man, if I'd gotten it over with by now, that'd been great. But it didn't happen. I've, I've been tempted in many ways. 
I bet you'd like to hear some more of my temptations. Would you, would you like to hear another? Stay and I'll share the next service, okay? You just stay along. We'll, we'll talk about next service. But the temptation for Jesus here is to have all the power, all the splendor of the world. And you know what struck me as I thought about it? As I thought about this passage, this is what I think. I know Jesus. His wisdom, his character, his competence. I think about all the neediness of the kingdoms of this world, and it started to seem like, that seems like a pretty good idea. Don't you think that we'd be living in a better world if all the countries were led by Jesus? Can you imagine if North Korea was led by Jesus? If China was led by Jesus? What about Russia led by Jesus or Iran or Afghanistan? Would it not make Tuesday's election easier if Jesus was one of the candidates on the ballot? Now let me be clear, Jesus is not one of the candidates on the ballot. And Satan is not one of the candidates on the ballot. These are two ordinary men, flawed and very different. But wouldn't it be something if Jesus was running the country? Man, no more gridlock in Congress. Whatever he says goes. He could balance the budget. Imagine his health care plan. The poor would have more than enough. There would be no more abortion. And all lives would be valued and protected. The Internal Revenue Service, we could call it the Eternal Revenue Service. Because there would be no end. Jesus running the Environmental Protection Agency. Why? Because he created the environment. Or Jesus in charge of the Pentagon. No more weapons of mass destruction. Only mass. You have to be Catholic to kind of get that, but, uh, but I thought that was kind of cool. <laughs> but you know, it's, it's not just the government. When we're talking about kingdoms, that's a broad word in Scripture. It's not just talking about government. It's talking about systems of power. So we live in a world filled with kingdoms. Think about educational kingdoms. Jesus running Harvard and Yale. Jesus running Ohio State and Michigan. I bet Ohio State would still beat Michigan, don't you? <laughs> Amen. Come on. Workplaces are kingdoms where you work and those little fiefdoms that we, we go to. Jesus running Facebook and Twitter and Google. Jesus running Walmart and Home Depot and Starbucks. And what about the media? <laughs> Jesus runs the New York Times and CNN and Fox News. 
The Bible says that there was this moment when the option is laid out for Jesus. And I'm thinking, Jesus, do it. But Jesus says, no, I'm not running for that office. I'm not interested in that kind of power. In fact, this is really key because I think this tells us everything about the nature of the kingdom of God. Listen to this. Jesus, you can choose the easy way. You can choose the flashy way. You don't have to be vulnerable. You don't have to be weak. You don't have to be wounded. You don't have to go to the cross, Jesus. And that way of power is a temptation for every one of us. Every one of us in the church today. The power of domination the power of force, power to always be right and make sure we manipulate things to get our way. I heard about one couple who had a four-year-old daughter. She was what you would call a strong-willed child. Maybe you know one of these, okay? But her mom was, was a little more tenderhearted, a little, little more soft-spoken, so it was a little bit difficult in the household. But one day, the little girl was always just getting into trouble because she'd get on her tricycle, she'd head out to all over the place. And her mom would come out and finally said, Honey, look, look, here's the edge of the driveway. Here's this tree over here. You can ride your bicycle all to the sidewalk from here to there, but you cannot go beyond there. I'm going to be inside. We're going to be watching you the whole way. If you go past the driveway or past that tree, I'm going to come out and there will be a spanking. The little girl stuck her bottom out and said, well, you better spank me now because I have places to go. <laughs> That's the human spirit, isn't it? That's Adam and Eve. That's all of us. I have places to go. I have things I want to do. I have things that I want to have. I want to I do what I want. And so we go all out in, all after that way of power for ourselves. Whether we think we're high or low on that ladder, that power struggle is in all of us. But here's the thing with Jesus. Jesus believed that love had the power to do what power alone could not do. Jesus believed that the power of love could do what power alone could not do. He knew that love makes all the difference. And so he responds to Satan. He says, this is what the Bible says. Love, love God. How? I worship God and him alone. I serve God and him alone. In essence, what Jesus was saying is, I'm going to love God and I'm going to serve him. How? By loving his people. I will love God and I will love his people. And when I do that perfectly, it's going to change the world. Are you with me? I, I think about when Jesus went to Pontius Pilate. He is on trial. He has been beaten and shamed. He 
Pontius brings Jesus into the palace. Now remember, this is a palace. Pilate is a political leader. Jesus has been arrested. He's been beaten. And Pilate asks him, are you the king of the Jews? That's a political question. And that, by the way, is what political leaders in power do. They investigate. They interrogate. They manipulate. They intimidate. They examine. They decide. They make the call. Jesus says... Is that your own idea, or did others talk to you about me? Suddenly, Jesus is asking the questions. Suddenly, the tables are turned. Jesus is asking Pilate, honestly, are are, are you interested? Do you really want to know? Jesus is asking Pilate the question. It's almost as if Pilate is now on trial. And Jesus, he's in complete control. And so... This confuses Pilate, and so Pilate says, wait a minute, don't you realize I have power? Don't you realize I have the power to let you live or die, to crucify you or to set you free? I say the word you live, I say the word you die, I have power? But Jesus answered, you would have no power over me. If it were not given to you from above. Now I thought about that phrase. Jesus here. It's very interesting. Jesus here is letting Pilate know where he stands. Jesus is saying. Pilate your power is an illusion. You don't have any power. You're afraid. You're afraid of that which is above you. And by the way. The Sanhedrin. You're afraid of them, the Jews. My goodness, they're above you. You don't realize it maybe, but those Sanhedrin, the Jews, if you upset them enough, you lose your job and you know it. You don't have any power. Oh, come on, Pilate. Pilate, you are in your palace, but you very well know that Caesar is above you and you cross him, it's your head. You don't have any power. The power you have was given to you and it could be taken away. Oh, and by the way, above that, you're afraid of God. He's the ultimate one who gives power. And you're wondering, what's he going to do with your life? The only power you have and has been given to you, and you're afraid it will be taken away. And so Jesus is standing there in chains. Blood is dripping from his back. And he is the one who is utterly fearless against the world's power. And Jesus says to Pilate, My kingdom is not of this world. I'm not interested in that power. But I am a king. I'll wear a crown of thorns. I'll take the throne on a cross. My robe will be stripped away. I'll be mocked instead of cheered and spit upon instead of bowed down to. But I will demonstrate to the world the gracious, loving forgiveness of a God who loves the world. I want you to think about that. We love until we are betrayed. Jesus continued to the cross beyond betrayal. We love until we are forsaken. But Jesus 
loved his enemies and forgave them. You see, we love up to a limit. Jesus loved to the end. And because of that, the cross changes the world. Changes my world. Changes your world. Gang, this is what we get to be a part of. Listen to me. When you make Jesus your king, when you say, Lord, I'm yours, all of me. When you make Jesus the king of your life, when you decide to worship him and him alone, when you make it your chief pursuit in life to love him, to adore him, to serve him by loving those around you. Listen, we get to be a part of up there, that kingdom coming down to this world. Up there, coming down here. So when you make the decision to make Jesus your king, seems to me that's the most important political decision that you'll ever make. Because what happens in the White House in comparison to what God wants to do in your house is nothing. There's nothing that, 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 that comparison, what happens in the White House matters very little in total comparison to what God wants to do in this house today. As we make a decision, we're going to put you first. We're going to worship you and you alone. We're going to love you with our whole hearts. We're going to love others because we love you. You see, I've come to believe that Tuesday has nothing on Sunday. And what happens here? In Matthew 24, Jesus is talking about the end. And this is what he says. The Bible says this. Jesus answered, watch out that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name claiming I am the Messiah and will deceive many. Now, Now let's just stop right there. We know that there are some who are coming and they will say, I will save you. I'll be your Messiah. I will be your hope. Notice even that they come in Jesus' name. They're aligned with him. They look like they, they, they care about the things of Jesus. But they can deceive. Jesus says, be careful. Then he says, you will hear of wars and rumors of war... See to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. So when those things happen, wars and rumors of wars, don't get alarmed. This is not the end, Jesus says. Listen to that. Wars and battles and rumors of war, it's still not the end. He says nation will rise against nation, kingdoms against kingdoms. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places, All these things are the beginnings of birth pain. Again, Jesus says this is not the end. Those earthquakes, that pestilence, those those famines, they're just the beginning. It is not the end. Just the beginning. Notice that. But then he says this in verse 9. Then, 
you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death. And you will be hated by all nations because of me. I noted last year, I read yesterday, 2,983 Christians were killed for their faith last year in our world. Some 3,700 were arrested and imprisoned that we know of. 9,500 churches were attacked in some way physically last year across the world. Hey, Christians, we shouldn't be surprised when we are called deplorable. (laughs) And we shouldn't be surprised when the world doesn't agree with our message and we chafe against the systems of this world. Jesus says that's part of the way things are. But listen, look at this. At that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. You see the connection, turning away from the faith, betraying and hating each other? What's the danger? We turn away from the faith and we hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Because of the increase of this wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. Now, now get this. You see, Jesus does not think that wars and famines and rumors of wars, even false messiahs and earthquakes and pestilence are the end of the world. Jesus doesn't say that. That's not what he says here. They say, he says they are the beginning The end is still to come, but notice what Jesus says will be our greatest challenge in this time when wickedness increases. The love of most will grow cold. That ought to send a chill down our spines. Because let me ask you, let me ask you this question. In this season of 2020, with all the things that have happened, with all the politicization of this virus, with the election, with all that's going on in social media, has your love grown cold? Let me ask you this season, this election season, has your love grown cold? Or can you honestly say, I love him more than ever? Do you love your neighbor more than ever? But the one who stands firm in the end will be saved, Jesus says. And how do we stand firm? Our love does not grow cold. It grows bigger and brighter and warmer and more passionate. We love worship more today than we did a year ago. It's more precious to us now than it's ever been. Serving him and loving our neighbors and taking care of them and and giving them a reason to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, that becomes our passion. We love God. We love people. We won't let that love grow cold. That is the one. 
that will be saved. This Tuesday, there's going to be an election. We're going to vote. It is important to be sure. And yes, there is a lot at stake. Let's pray. Let's vote. And part of my prayer is that there will be a sure and certain and swift outcome. And maybe my side wins. Maybe not. And then next weekend, we get to come together again. And we're going to worship God. And because we love him and because he loved us, we're going to worship again. And we're going to come together and we're going to love each other. And we're going to minister to one another. But we make this decision. We will not let our love grow Are you with me? Dear Jesus, I thank you that you are king and you have taken the throne. I pray, Lord, that everyone who hears my voice would more importantly hear the voice of your Holy Spirit. And right now, we would choose to exalt you. We would exalt you in our lives and confess our need for you and our love for you. And, oh God, I pray it would be an increasing love. That this season, this difficult, challenging season, which is a test, would provide us, Lord, opportunity to grow in our love for you and our love for one another. May we look at ourselves. Lord, how easily it would be to betray and fall away and worship the systems of power of this world. But today, Lord, as a church, as a pastor, as the people of God, we choose something better. We choose to love you. We choose to love our neighbors. We choose to make you king forever and ever. Amen. Let's stand together.
can see the love in your eyes laying yourself down raising up the broken to certain this morning that you've made Jesus your king? Are you growing in your love for him even in this season? Are you growing in your love for your neighbor? That person who disagrees with you? That's the test. May we grow in grace because we have been extended amazing grace. And so as we go forth, we go with the knowledge that he loves us He's forgiven us for all our betrayals, for all those times when we succumb to temptation. But we serve one who never did. And he says, my righteousness I give to you because I love you. I love you. So Lord Jesus, this morning we confess that we love you. And thank you, Lord, that you are our king. And Lord, you are king for eternity forever and ever and we bow before you and so as citizens of that kingdom lord we go forth from this place with a heart that seeks to worship you more lord i pray against that coldness of heart that hardness of heart that can can just subtly come into our lives and we don't even recognize it but maybe this morning we've seen something in ourselves and lord we pray that you would forgive us and cleanse us and tune our hearts to you. Because, Lord, you are the king of history. And no matter what happens on Tuesday, what happens today is for eternity. So, Lord, we, we give you ourselves. And may we have the grace to follow you with our whole hearts. I pray this in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, amen. God bless you. Thank you for being here. Love you. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Oh, I once was lost, but now I am found, was blind, but now I see.